Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. I'm going to teach a message called Shelter in Place. Kind of take a step back from our Timothy series for a minute because I feel like the, the way things are going, we need to get focused on that. So this morning, while you're sheltered in place, um, we're going to talk about four responses that you should have as a Christian in the midst of this sort of uh, crazy pandemic. I had a chance yesterday with Monroe um, to go down to Gulf Shores and help a friend move some furniture in a 25-story something condo. And uh, um, it was bizarre to be at Gulf Shores, Alabama, uh, Orange Beach. We were at Orange Beach, Alabama, at one of the craziest places you'd ever want to be during spring break. It was Saturday, not midweek, but Saturday of spring break week. And uh, we took pictures from this balcony. We were on the fifth floor of this thing, and there's not a soul on the beach. I mean, nothing, nothing. About two boats out there, way out in the distance, some little sea dew running around, but that was it. And it was just crazy to see that. I was telling some of the guys, it felt like you're either in Twilight Zone or you got caught up in one of the old uh, Left Behind movies <laughs> where everybody got left behind and you walked in and went, there's nobody here. Um, and the, the roads are just clear. There's no traffic like it's usually just so busy down there this time of year. And uh, we need to pray for those businesses for sure. They're taking an enormous economic hit, but it's all, it's upon us and there's no getting away from it that we are in a uh, pandemic that's a bit of a crisis for our country, for our world. And uh, I know some of the numbers in the sicknesses and all, we're seeing some change in that. We're seeing some people healed and healthy. And Italy actually cranked out some good numbers this past week with people that went home from the hospital. So that was pretty encouraging. Um, but I want to give you four responses that we should have as a church, as individual Christians. There's four things that you should do. And they're real important that I think you ought to just wrestle with these this morning and let them sink in. The first one is, Anytime you're in this kind of trial or storm, we should recognize the power of God in that storm. We should recognize the power of God in that storm. Isaiah 66, 1 says this, uh, God speaking, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Uh, where then is the house you could build for me? God's asking the people of Israel through Isaiah the prophet, um, you think you can actually build a house for me? I can rest, prop my feet up on your planet. I can rest my feet on your planet. Um, that's, that's God. And then another place in Isaiah, it says he holds the entire oceans in his hand, in the palm of his hand. He says in, in another place, he says all the nations are as a drop in the, all the power of all the nations at one time are like a drop of water in a bucket to God. Um, so God has this enormous power. God has power and authority way beyond what we have as human, what we think of as power. It's way beyond that. Um, we said it, and my son Josh used this line. We use it a little bit at our house kind of all the time um, in our understanding of who God is and who we are. And it comes from an old Disney movie. Um, man, it just went right out of my head which one it is. But, um, oh, Aladdin. Aladdin, the Disney movie. Um, great big uh, God, little bitty deal. And, and we always just say, great big God, little bitty Stan. 
Um, and that's really the truth. We have we serve a great big God uh, and have a little bitty person worshiping him. We are very tiny. I'm going to give you that picture. Um, you can see God's power in little and big things. If you want to magnify things, uh, little things, and make them big, with a microscope, an electron microscope, you can see God's authority and power in that. Uh, if you want to just back up with telescopes and look at things, um, I love Lou Giglio's uh, series that he did a while back, years ago, uh, through the Passion series. Um, and uh, you can go online and see some of that. It's some great stuff in it. You can go online and see some of it. There's a great video that somebody clipped some out of it. Um, Lou Giglio, it says, if the earth uh, was the size of a golf ball, and he talks through the whole, uh, how how it's actually how small our earth is, uh, how tiny our earth is. And uh, he, he just gives us some statistics. I'm going to give them for you here so you, you can hear them. The sun of our solar system, which is a star we revolve around every year, right? You can put 960,000 earths inside the sun. 960,000 earths inside our sun. That's ridiculous, right? Uh, and then we have other stars that get, get they only get bigger. Uh, there's one called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. A lot of people just say Betelgeuse. So in our sun, you can put 960,000 earths. If you were trying to put earth inside that, you could put 263 trillion earths in Betelgeuse, right? 263 trillion earths fit inside that star. There's another star called Musifi. Uh, I always think of Mufasa when I say that. I don't know why I've got so many Disney references today. But uh, Musifi, and uh, it was also called Herschel's Garnet Star back uh, years ago. You can fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside that star. 2.7 quadrillion. I don't even know what that is. Um, he actually goes to a little deal to try to tell you how, how quadrillion compares to like a million. Um, he says if you were to think of... Um, Millions in terms of seconds. A million seconds ago is is uh, twelve days ago. So if I if I was just to back up a million seconds, I'd be twelve days ago. So that gives me a little perspective on what twelve days is. And then of course a billion, which is the next big number up, a billion seconds ago goes back to nineteen eighty. That's how far back. That's the difference between a million twelve days ago and a billion nineteen eighty. Follow me. So then when you get to trillion, you don't end up back in uh, like Jesus' day. You end up in 29,000 B.C., before Christ was ever born. 29,000 years before the birth of Christ, you're at uh, trillion. And then quadrillion, which is what we're talking about because we said, Musifi, you can put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of Musifi. A quadrillion is 31 million years ago in seconds, in seconds. 31 million years ago in seconds. How many seconds are in 31 million years? That's how many you can put inside there. That's just crazy when you think about that. And then he talks about the largest star we've ever found called Canis Majoris, a huge star, biggest star we've ever found in the sky. And you can put seven quadrillion Earths uh, inside Canis Majoris, seven quadrillion. And uh, I, I just, I used to sit out in the woods sometimes and think about this uh, when I'd be sitting up against a tree or up in a tree or literally just standing next to a brook. Uh, I just used to think of, you know, the 
it's kind of like uh, Google Earth does now when you go online and you find Google Earth and it, and it spins the Earth and it zooms in on you and then you can tell it to back out and it'll zoom out. I used to think of how, how God sees everything from that vantage point. Then I realized he actually can see our universe. Our little solar system, our little solar system is a dot on a, you know what a pinwheel is like the kids used to hold up the stick with a pinwheel? Um, our, our whole galaxy is a pinwheel. It's a pinwheel galaxy. And the whole solar system that we have, our planets with our sun, if you took a Sharpie and put a dot on one arm of that pinwheel, that would be us, right? That's our whole solar system. And inside the solar system, you got our planets. Then inside the planet, you got our one little earth. And you zoom in on the earth and you find, you know, Mobile, Alabama. Then you zoom in on Mobile, Alabama and you find, you know, Stan sitting at the creek and you go, man, we are tiny. We are so tiny and insignificant. Uh, one of my favorite pictures, and they just redone this picture. There's a new version, HD version of the pale blue dot. Uh, you should look it up sometimes, the pale blue dot. It's Voyager, uh, one of our probes that we sent out years and years ago, flew out. Uh, to into space and at some point they turned it around so you can take a picture back of the earth and I don't remember how many light how many how far away it was but it's ridiculous and there's this picture of earth hanging in a sunbeam uh, and, and it's just a little it looks like a dust speck floating in the sky so all it looks like is just tiny little dust speck um, and it's the earth from however far away that thing is and uh, you just think about how we think sometimes we're all that and we're so big, um, but we are nothing. God says, I can rest my feet. By the way, he can speak. He did speak all of that, what we just described, all those stars. He spoke them into existence with his mouth in one word, one time, all done. You know, you got some of the guys were talking about, talking about the mission. Monroe and I were driving yesterday, talking about the mission when you're at that, look at the stars. To us, they're just these little tiny dots. Like Canis Majoris is visible to us. But it's a, it's a dot, a little dot in space. You go, oh, look at the little baby star. No, you can put seven point, you can put seven quadrillion Earths inside that little dot. That's how far away it is and how, how incredible it is. Microviruses are the same thing. They keep showing us pictures of, of how strong God is. There's this COVID-19 thing sweeping the globe and threatening every single nation is being threatened by this little microvirus. Every single nation's health. It's threatened by this little invisible deal. So we can think of mankind as like we're at the top of the food chain. We're the, you know, unless you swim in the ocean too much around big sharks, you're at the top of the food chain. When you're in the ocean, you're in their food chain. Um, but we think of ourselves as sort of as the, as the top of, of, of the food chain on the earth. And we're all that. And, you know, we're the ones with the opposable thumbs and the brains and all that. But I'm telling you, sin, Lou Giglio says it this way. Sin has a way of us shrinking God down and puffing us up. And the Bible never does that. It's the other way around. God is this huge, enormous, all-powerful, all-majestic, all-wonderful and beautiful God of great authority. And the real picture is that we are the created beings and God is the creator. We are created beings and God is our creator. And uh, we can easily think of that uh, differently if we're not careful. If we let ourselves think more highly than we should, the Bible warns against that many times. Before God, I wrote this down in my notes, before God, listen, we are no more of a threat than a roly-poly is to you. When you see roly I miss roly-polies. When I was a kid, I played roly-polies all the time. I could never find enough of them. I love those things. But because they weren't, they couldn't bite. They don't bite. They're just goofy little bugs, right? 
But I mean, does a roly poly threaten you ever? Are you like, oh, it's a roly poly? I mean, you do that with spiders and you know other bugs freak everybody out. You know, even a mosquito gets in a room, right? Freaks out, right? But a roly poly, there's no threat to roly. Like, oh look, it's a roly poly. You know, I mean, it's no threat at all. That's how God sees us. Uh, maybe even less, by the way. We are zero threat to Him. And we have, to, we have to use this time of storm, this time of response to this thing that's going around our planet. We have to say, you know, God, you're so much bigger than all of this. And I need to take comfort in that. I need to have hope in who you are. And I need to trust in you. And I need to humble myself before you and see myself as small and needy, very, very needy. That's why before we started, we sang, this is the air I breathe. This is your, your I need your daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your words, my daily bread. The second thing we need to do is listen for the voice of God. Uh, in this time, while we're recognizing the power of God, we need to listen to his voice. I shared in our uh, vlog devotionals earlier today, earlier this week, that God speaks in storms. If you read the Bible very clearly, he uses storms all the time, trials and stress to speak to us. Um, by the way, he means for his disciples to get in tense situations. We're all the time trying to figure out how to get out of tense situations. God means for us to be in those tense situations. God speaks in the storms, and uh, he means for us to search our souls while that's happening, to study ourselves, to study him, learn more about him, and learn more about us. In Exodus chapter 9, uh, Pharaoh heard from God in the midst of a hailstorm. You remember all the plagues that God sent to Pharaoh uh, through through Moses and Aaron, there's just one thing after another, one thing after another. One of my favorite parts of that story is for, I think there's a lot of humor in the Bible. Um, I just really do. And it just cracks me up when when Pharaoh, Moses would come and create this plague, you know, frogs, locusts, whatever it is. And his magicians would go, oh, we can do that. Like, if you really want to help, we don't need you to make more frogs. We need you to figure out how to undo what Moses just did. Stop making more of what Moses is doing through God. If you're really going to be a good magician for us, if you're like the, you know, the the helper in the kingdom, how about stop that? Like Moses, you know, had the Lord turned all the water to blood. And Moses goes, and, the, and the, you know, the, the magicians go, oh, we can do that. He's like, wait, we only had a little bit of water that didn't happen to it. Now you've turned it to... It's just cracks. It's just funny to me how that works. But in the midst of all that, one of the plagues gets a hold of Pharaoh and it upsets him so bad after he's been through all this other crazy stuff. Uh, verse uh, 23, the Lord God rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. And it was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. I want you to picture that. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals, it beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. Only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron because of the storm. And he said, this time, Pharaoh said, I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and my people and I are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord God for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. Uh, and you don't have to stay any longer. So God spoke to Pharaoh through a storm. Now Pharaoh's heart's going to get hardened again, and there's going to be some more struggles there. But it is interesting to me that the storm got his attention. Um, and uh, I think of um, Cooksville, Tennessee, and all that had the big tornado just a few uh, weeks ago, and all that how it got attention. And, and back when when the big 
a tornado hit Tuscaloosa and came through the end of Birmingham there and how it got everybody's attention. We, we hear from God in storms. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Um, and he says, um, Job, this is Stan, give us a paraphrase. Job, stand up, put your big boy pants on. We're going to talk. And when I'm done talking, you're going to answer me. Um, and the first time Job says that, God says that to Job, Job, when it's Job's turn to talk, he goes, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. Who am I to talk back to that? And then God says it again later, another chapter heading. He says, Job, stand up, put on your big boy pants, gird yourself up, and we're going to have a talk. And when I'm done talking, you're going to talk. And so we just learn from the scriptures that God speaks in storms. And this storm that's sweeping our world is a time for us to be listening to God's voice now. We should listen. We should hear from God. I promise you he's trying to tell every single person something uh, through this, and he's wanting us to grow. James chapter 2, verse 1, or verse 2, um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, converted after Jesus' resurrection. I think his mama had a whole lot to do with that. I think Mary got a hold of Brother James and said, look, your big brother Jesus just died and rose again <laughs> and uh, is on a mission, and you've been off base all along. We know that James didn't believe in Jesus early in Jesus' ministry or later in his ministry. He still didn't believe in him. And, uh, but at some point, he came around and he becomes the leader of a church in Jerusalem. And he writes his letter back to him in James chapter 2. And he says, count it all joy, chapter 1, sorry, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall in various trials. James knew, matter of fact, the people he's writing to are scattered into the hills because of the persecution that's happening in uh, the time James writing the letter, the people that are Christians are being persecuted and having to hide in the hills. And James is writing to the 12 tribes scattered up in the hills. And he says to them, count it all joy. So here we are scattered into our homes, watching on Facebook Live and other uh, ways to watch this. Count it all joy when you encounter trials. And why? Because the testing, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance some translations say patience, endurance is a good word there. Uh, let endurance have her perfect work. God is doing a work through a trial. The trial is for him to work in us. And when he works in us, he wants us to what? Endure. And not only does he want us to endure, he wants us to grow up and have uh, literally maturity is what it means. He's going to create us more mature if we will endure this trial. So he sent this storm to us. We need to pay attention to the to the storm maker and realize he has all this great power, but he's speaking to us in it. And one of the things he's telling us, I guarantee you this, he's telling you this, if you haven't heard this, I'll just break the news to you early, kind of a plot spore if you're trying to hear from the Lord. Um, but he's telling you to be joyful. Count it all joy when you fall in various trials. Literally, joyful. We're supposed to be like, yes, there's a virus going around. Wow, this is awesome. It literally means to rejoice that God is doing a work celebrate what God is doing. And it's, I'm not happy that people are dying. I'm happy that people are learning to pay more attention to God. I'm happy that God is trying to speak to us. We've lost our way in so many things, right? I mean, I was one of our pastors that I like to watch online and a good friend of mine, he's actually on our podcast for 614 Ministries recently, Pastor Paul, I was listening to him and he was saying uh, all the uh, idols of America are just crumbling right in front of our very eyes. You know, we worship uh, basketball stars and baseball stars and football stars, and none of that's happening. 
all the arenas are shut down, right? They're, everything's different. And all that sort of idol worship of that, our, our economy's struggling. So our, our consumerism and our, our wealth and all that stuff that we sort of idolize, not sort of, but do. God's just, with, with one little invisible bug, he's just going, you know what? All that can go away this fast. So it's an interesting thing. And we're supposed to rejoice, count it all joy. Rejoice for your trials. Paul writes to the Philippians from jail. While he's in jail, he says, rejoice. Don't be afraid to celebrate what God is doing and see God at work. Rejoice because you're, if you're his child, he's got this covered. He who began the good work is going to complete it in you. And uh, I was telling the guys at the mission at Friday's chapel, God's not pacing heaven. He's not in heaven going, man, who let this virus out? Oh my gosh, where did the virus come from? I don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to solve this? I need to get some scientists working on this. I guess we need to get some angels down there to help. He's not in heaven freaked out by this moment. He's just not. There's nothing in God's demeanor that says, Panic. He's at peace. He's resting his feet on the earth, right? The earth is, the heaven is as strong, the earth is his footstool. He's at rest. And we can celebrate what he's doing and reject. We can rejoice um, because God's got this. So I just want to remind you of that. And then I want, to, I want you to do what it also says in this text, which is endure. Number three, what we can do while we're sheltered in place is to endure and count on God's mercy. While we're enduring trials, that's why we can rejoice. While we're enduring trials, he promises mercy for us, grace for us, and help for us. And he just wants you to hang on sometimes. Sometimes you just got to hang on. It's really painful and hard. You know, I lost my brother to cancer. That was so hard to, to watch happen. He, he had cancer for a little bit in his throat, and it, it, he, it cleared up. We prayed like crazy for him. And when he went back, uh, you know, his can he was cancer-free. And it was like, man, that was a miracle. That was awesome. So we were just thrilled. And then, you know, within a year or so, he had, he had cancer everywhere and it just took over and it took him home. And he's with the Lord now. So he's perfectly healed and he's having the, you know, best day he's ever had in his life because every day gets sweeter with Jesus. Um, but I just remember through all that having to hang on, you know, and, and sitting in the hospital with him and his feeding tube, you know, all the stuff that he had to go through was so painful to endure as a brother. He's my older brother. He's like a dad to me. Just, but you just endure. You get through it and you endure. And Lamentations chapter 3. I was reading this week, by the way. Kendall's here. Uh, our elders are all here again, so that's awesome. And my buddies. And, oh, Andrea and Key showed up, which is wonderful. So I appreciate Andrea running the board for us. But, but uh, here's, here's uh, I was reading in Lamentations that the, the authorship that it's Jeremiah is not 1,000% sure. I always thought it was Jeremiah. Uh, and it seems like Jeremiah, but there's an interesting couple of articles I read about that. So, but I do think Jeremiah probably is the lamenter of this uh, story. Um, he's he's for years preached to Israel to turn back to God before the judgment of uh, God comes upon you and Babylon sweeps through and wipes us out as a nation. And then eventually, because they never turned, they get wiped out. And now Jeremiah, in in the Book of Lamentation, he's literally walking through town. If you read it from the beginning, I'd encourage you, it's a very short book. You know, I'd encourage you to read it this week. Because if you read it from the beginning, he's walking through telling you the pictures of what he sees. He's seeing people, uh, women that are starving to death and, 
and uh, they, they can't feed their children. The children are starving in the streets. The walls of the city, this great city of Jerusalem, the walls are all crushed down. The temple's been crushed and burned, and they've sacrificed not just the priests. Uh, the, the Jewish priests have been sacrificed or killed, slain in the temple, but they've sacrificed pigs in that temple to, to shame Israel. And Jeremiah's seeing all this, and he just weeps and weeps and weeps. He actually says in Jeremiah chapter 3, I've, we I've wept so much I have no more tears to cry. He said, I've cried so much I cannot cry any more tears. My tear ducts are dry. I'm just, it's, it's just miserable what he's going through so hard. And, and he actually said, if you look at Lamentations 3 verse 1, he says, I'm a man who's seen affliction because of the rod of God's wrath. He's driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Verse 3, surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. Jeremiah describing how he is experiencing all this. In dark places, he had made me dwell like those who have long been dead. I feel like I'm just walking in a graveyard, walking through a graveyard, and it's just all over me. My bones ache from what I'm witnessing. That's a lot of grief. That's a lot of grief happening in him. And then he gets to verse 19. Remembering my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness that's within me, he says, verse 20, watch the change. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Whoa, whoa. We just did a 180 degree U-turn right there. My bitterness, my, my, my wormwood, my gall, I'm broken. I can't take it anymore. I can't cry any harder. I can't deal with this. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Hope shows up right in the middle of some of his most difficult pain. And here's what he says in verse 20, 21. Um, verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness, kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They're new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jer Jeremiah says, I've wept all I can weep. I've seen so much. I'm in so much darkness and so much pain and so much misery. Oh, but I can look to God and hope. I can hope in him. He is my hope because his faithfulness is there every single day. His loving kindnesses are there every single day. His mercies are new every single morning. He prepared new mercies for this day, Sunday, March 29th, 2020, COVID-19 and all. He prepared new mercies for us today, brand new mercies. They're for us and he's giving them to us, his children and he says, the Lord's loving kindness has never ceased. His compassions never fail while he's walking through this broken down city. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion. He's the provider. Says my soul. My soul is going to find provision from God. Just remember that. Um, Therefore, I have hope in him. Uh, this is good to those. Uh, the Lord is good. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the person who seeks him. So what are we supposed to be doing? Waiting and seeking. Waiting and seeking him. And then this one of my favorite verses, verse 26. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Salvation's coming. And sometimes you just gotta sit quietly and wait. No whining, no moaning, no crying. Just wait silently. Wait quietly, silently for the salvation of the Lord, because it's coming. And Jeremiah's in this terrible thing. The scene around him is horrible. 
And he's just saying, I'm going to wait silently for the Lord. So I'm going to give you a couple quick notes out of this if you want to add to your notes here. First, your soul has to remember. That's what, that's what he did first. He goes, my soul remembers. And your soul is a lot deeper than your mind. It's a lot deeper than your spirit. It's as deep as it goes. Your soul has to have a connection with God. Well, how do I get that? Well, it's real simple. You trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and follow every word he gives you. That means your soul gets connected with him. When you trust him that he paid for your sins on the cross and you trust him to be your Savior and Lord and you follow him, your soul is connected with him. And now your soul in its connection with him can remember the things about him. Again, we were talking yesterday while we were driving, and even Tripp, you were telling me about this this morning. We have these spiritual insights um, as followers of Christ that you just don't, you didn't have before you knew Christ. You're like, how did I not know that? Well, you didn't have Jesus, the Holy Spirit revealing truth to you all the time. Now you do, and you look at it, and you go, man, I was just dumb back then. I was really dumb, right? So so here's here's our soul has to remember and have to, from a deep place within us, we have to turn to God. Jeremiah has done some soul searching like we talked about earlier. Secondly, your soul has to be humble. He says his soul is bowed down before the mighty God. And then third, he sees the greatness of God, the mercy of God, the loving kindness and the compassion of God will appear. Well, how did it appear to him? How did hope appear to him? He had to humble himself before God. And he had to turn his soul back towards God. He had to connect his soul to God and remember God who God really is, no matter what the circumstances look like. Oh my gosh, we have however many new deaths we have of this virus. Oh my gosh, the president's going to cause us to shut this down. Oh my gosh, all the businesses, small businesses are going to go out of business. Whatever the circumstances are that have you freaked out, turn back, turn your heart and soul back to God and look to God and say, God, you haven't changed one second. He's still filled with mercy and loving kindness and grace. And you can see that when you turn to him. The compassion will appear clear to you if you'll do that. His compassions will be clear to you. His provisions will be clear. He says, the Lord is my portion. So my provisions are taken care of. And then he says, his goodness is available to me. And then he says, it's good to wait for the salvation. Isaiah 40, verse 11. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll run and not grow weary. <laughs> getting so old now when I walk I grow weary I have this, there's this hill at the deer farm my friend uh, lets me play on all the time and there's this hill that I have to go back up to get to my truck sometime and I'm just amazed at how much harder I breathe on that hill sometimes it's like wow I used to could just kind of jog up that hill almost and now I'm like <laughs> am I ever going to see the top where the truck is um, and it's interesting because the Bible says, if we will wait upon the Lord and let him do that, we will not lose strength. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint. Jeremiah, Lamentations 3 says, we will have hope in verse 24. We'll have a peaceful and quiet spirit. In verse 26, my, my spirit's quieted. I'm waiting silently. My spirit's quieted before the Lord. Why? Because I hope in him. Because I trust in him. Because I turn my soul toward him. So how do I endure like, like Jeremiah? I can count on God's mercy. I got to turn my soul toward him. I got to look to him and remember him for who he is. Quit worrying about me. Quit worrying about here. Get my eyes off of here. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim 
light of his glory and grace. That's such a great truth. Such a great truth, him from the 1918s. <clears throat> and then uh, the last thing I want to challenge us through this morning uh, while we're sheltered in place is to worship God. To worship God. When a storm comes, the best thing you can do is be a worshiper of God. Matthew 14, John chapter 6, and uh, Mark chapter 6 all record the story of Jesus sending the multitudes that he had fed, 20,000 probably plus people. He had fed, he sends the multitudes away. He had the disciples help feed them. And John, in Matthew 14, 22, Jesus constrained the disciples. The Greek word is he forced the disciples, insisted that they get in the boat and go to the other side. He said, I'm going to go up in the mountain. I'm going to send the people away and go up in the mountain and pray. You guys get in this boat and get to the other side of the sea. And Jesus, it says in Mark, he intended to jog past them on the sea that morning, his morning jog, running and not growing weary because he's Jesus. He was going to jog past them on the sea and get to the other side. But in the, in the middle of that, there's a storm. He sent them into a storm. You think for one second Jesus didn't know there was a storm out there? He actually says later he meant for them to get in that storm. There's a lot of biblical truth in that. He sends them into that storm. And like Job, he speaks out of that storm to them. And that's the same story where Peter, they see him walking on the water and they all freak out. And a bunch of the disciples are all freaked out. And uh, Peter says, you know, Jesus calls out to him to comfort them. Be at peace, it is I, don't be afraid, it's me, Jesus. You know, they just see him off in the distance, man. There's no lights. We always picture this like a movie scene uh, at nighttime on the ocean. There's no lights at all. They're seeing him in the flashes of storm lightning. And it's just this ghostly figure. So they're all freaking out, thinking it's some sort of aberration or ghost. Peter says, well, I know that voice. If that's you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus goes, come on. My, my southern translation is, come on, big boy. If you think you got that in you, come on. And he does. He climbs over. He puts his hands on the bow of a boat that's crashing in the waves and climbs over and does something against all of his training, all of his uh, intellect, and all of his just common survival sense as a, a fisherman, the son of a fisherman, the, the grandson of a fisherman, never get out of a boat in the middle of a storm. Ever, 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 ever. In Jesus' day, you never did that. There was no reason to leave something that was floating in a storm. You're going to die. Peter did that, climbed over the bow, and walked partway to Jesus. And Jesus rescues him. Uh, you know, when he gets his eyes off of Jesus, Jesus rescues him. But it says at the end of those stories, when the boat was on land, here's what all the guys did after that storm. It says they fell down and worshipped him. Why? Because Jesus was in the storm with them. He helped them through a storm. So one of the things we're supposed to do when we shelter in place in our storm is worship him. And I mean worship him. Don't just acknowledge him. Don't just... Once or twice a week, just say, oh, yeah, Lord, help us. Or, yeah, I know the Lord's helping us. I mean, take some of this time. Uh, some of us have more time on our hands than we've had in a long time. Take some of this time to get into the scriptures, learn something new about God, and just offer up a prayer. Write a, write a journal prayer out of worship to God and worship him for real. Really buckle down and worship him. They worshiped him. Job chapter 42. Uh, remember, Job was wrestling with God out of the storm. God spoke to him in Job 38, verse 1, out of the storm. In Job 42, it's the same kind of conversation, and it's Job's turn to talk. It's the last chapter of the book. It's his turn to talk after all the suffering, uh, all the great suffering Job's endured, lost his family and everything. Job stop, finally stops wrestling with God. He wrestles with God through a lot of the book. He finally stops wrestling with God. Then he says these words. Now, I'll just remind you, in Job chapter 1, after he loses his Family, his children, grandchildren, his wealth, a lot of stuff just wiped out. Crazy day for Job. At the end of it, he 
shaved his head, rent his clothes, fell down and worshiped God. Then the pain of it kicks in and, and we, we see chapter after chapter of Job wrestling with his pain and his suffering. Uh, Satan attacks his physical body and there's more and more wrestling. So the storm gets greater and he wrestles with it and he's working through it. He's working through it. He's still turning to God. He's still trusting in God. But at the end, here's what he says. I love this. Job stops to speak back to God and he says, who am I? to question, darken the counsel of God or question God. The things that have happened to me, this great trial, this great storm that's come upon my life, they're too wonderful for me to understand. The Hebrew word means they're full of wonder. By the way, it's not a pod, things that are full of wonder aren't always positive, it just means it makes us wonder. It's like, wow, wow, that's incredible. So Job's saying the things that have happened to me are too wonderful who am I to question you, God? You're so, so bigger, so much bigger than me. Full of wonder, great big God, little bitty Job. So let's do this today. Let's choose to put God in his rightful place. Let's see how powerful God really is. Let's do some soul searching, listen for the voice of God, and then let's endure. Let's choose to hang on and turn our deep, our deeper soul, like Jeremiah, let's turn our deeper soul towards God. And in the process, let's make sure we find time to actually worship the one that we find. Because when you do that, you're going to find this God to be so much bigger and greater. And you to be so small. And the fact that he would pay attention to you at all is amazing. It's amazing. Psalm chapter 8. Uh, who is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we? Little roly-polies. I mean, have you been mindful of your roly-polies this week? I'm asking you. Did you, did you check on your roly-polies this week out in the yard? Did you go out and go ahead and check on the roly-polies? No, because we're not mindful of them. We rule and reign over those little rascals, don't we? Right? We're like roly-polies to God, but he is very mindful of us. In fact, he sent his son to be one of us, to be tortured and beaten and killed, to, to pay for our sins because he loves us so much. So we are so loved by our God that we need to find a way to honor and worship him. And during this difficult time, while we're enduring, we're listening for his voice, we're seeing his great powers, let's worship him together, amen?